So we're starting in verse verse 12. Um, we the last two weeks we uh, looked at the uh, first 11 verses, and this is the part of the letter that the Church of Philippi would have been like especially waiting for. They've been they've been waiting. Paul, tell us how you're doing. Give us a report. And so in ancient letters, when the letter writer said, I want you to know, that was a tip-off. They're going to tell us about how they're doing. But you'll notice that actually Paul talks about them having a report. So he says, uh, now I want you to know, brothers, and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually been the advance of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, both for the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Brothers and sisters, understand that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is crucified. And so, rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my advantage. This is God's word. So, um, in a, a book called Total Life Prosperity, um, the author makes this claim. Biblical prosperity is the ability to be in control of every circumstance and every situation that occurs in your life. No matter what happens, whether financial, social, physical, marital, spiritual, emotional, this type of prosperity enables you to maintain control in every situation. In other words, learn these secrets in this book and you'll never have to suffer. You'll always be able to work your prosperity plan. You will be able to dodge all car accidents, all job loss, all relationship breakdown, all cancer, all disease, all betrayal. As other people get hit by drunk drivers or get infected by the latest pandemic virus, you will be able to overcome all these enemies and more and control every circumstance. Now, wouldn't you want to read a book like that? If that's really out there, you would. And I know that sounds attractive, but is it true? I remember when my oldest son, James, he's in his 20s now, um, when he was about three or four years old, 
um, we were talking about Superman, okay? And he knew Superman wasn't real, but he was really taken with Superman, okay? And, um, and he was fascinated by Superman. And so um, he asked me, he said, Dad, do, do bullets really bounce off of Superman's chest? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's right. And he's like, nothing can hurt Superman, right, Dad? And I kind of looked at him, and I could tell he was just, you know, he is into it. And so I was like, well, there's this thing called kryptonite, and, you know, that's there. But he wasn't really listening to that because he was thinking about Superman, and he was like, I wish I could be Superman, Dad. I don't want people to hurt me. And I was like, yeah, I get that. And so I understand that seductive appeal of a message that you can be invulnerable, that you can control every circumstance, but it's not true. It's not true. The Bible nowhere promises that you can be in control of every circumstance, that you can... Be invulnerable. No, the Bible says we're creatures. The Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, means needy man. <laughs> we're dependent. We have need for God. And just as the heavenly Father appointed a cross for Jesus to bear, he also appoints suffering to bear. In fact, later in this chapter, Paul's going to say to the Philippians, it's been granted to you not only to believe on Jesus, but to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggles you saw I had and I still have. So Paul says, this, this is true for me too. I'm I'm writing to you from a jail. I'm writing to you from chains. So, so Jesus Christ, he never promises, I can help you control all of your circumstances. No, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have trials, you will have suffering, but take heart, I've overcome the world. As one of the old hymns says, he's the sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise. All our times are in his hand, all events at his command. Now the Philippians were hoping that Paul would write to them about his difficult circumstances. They want to know they love him. Paul gives them a little, but not much. We learn mainly I'm in chains. That's a special kind of imprisonment. So he's not only in prison, but he's in chains. He's chained to a Roman guard uh, at, at all hours of the day and night. They were on sh eight-hour shifts. And so some of the guards probably also resented that they were given guard duty. Probably at least at first treated him roughly. Uh, Paul probably had bruises on his wrists and ankles. Most certainly he had no privacy at all. 
His guard was present when he ate, when he slept, when he went to the bathroom. And, and, and of course, the chains also stopped Paul's plans. Okay, he had plans, we know from other, you know, parts of Scripture, to take the gospel to Spain. And, and it had to disappoint him that he couldn't do that. But Paul doesn't really talk much about those aspects of his suffering. He, he says enough. But, if you know, in that section that I just read, he seems most anxious to share how the gospel is doing. He says, yes, 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 my, my, my circumstances are hard, but look how the gospel makes headway. When the gospel thrives, I thrive, says Paul. I'm so joyful. I'm so at peace because the gospel is going forward. You know, um, maybe when Paul first came, or at least the first time that he was in chains for the gospel, because we know this happened to him several times, maybe the very first time, I can imagine that those chains symbolized his suffering and, 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 and the hurt and all the broken plans. And, 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 and I imagine at least the first time, or maybe several times, it, it caused his world to spin. You know how it is when we hit that first moment of suffering, our world is spinning. Um, but then as this particular imprisonment goes on, and he sees what happens, um, it, it, his attitude, his perspective changes. Because the chains that had once symbolized his suffering now symbolize God's power to foil the plans of Rome. You see, when Rome goes to the trouble, not just to put you in prison, but then also to put chains on your wrists and on your ankles. They're doing that as a tactic of intimidation. Roman chains speak a clear message to Paul and to the church of Jesus Christ. We are Rome, and we will stop you. Anyone who preaches the message of Jesus Christ, the message that Paul is preaching, will receive the same chains as Paul. Our chains will stop you and silence you and spook you. But that didn't happen. Far from arresting the gospel, stopping the gospel, God used Paul's chains to advance the gospel. The whole palace guard knows that Paul was not guilty for any real crime except the, the quote-unquote crime of sharing the good news of salvation and forgiveness can, that can be found in Jesus Christ. When they heard the news of Jesus Christ, who was perfectly innocent, the Son of God, who, who, who purposefully uh, came down from heaven to earth as a servant and then died the death of a criminal uh, to, to serve as a substitute for sinners, uh, taking their penalty upon himself. Well, one after one, those guards, their hearts melted and they believed. They believed. 
that's pretty ironic because they believe in gospel that they tried to stop. Paul says there's another effect of this amazing gospel uh, that, that his chains um, are, are supposed to intimidate others in the church. And he says, no, that's not what's happening. It's actually igniting their confidence. It's igniting the confidence of the whole Christian community to share the gospel and to stand for it. Verse 14, the brothers and sisters dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Without fear. Rome jails one gospel preacher and ten new ones spring up. Rome's tactics of intimidation backfire. God turns his miserable circumstances into gold. And that brings us to the lesson God has for us right now. The old preacher, Matthew Henry, looks at this passage and says, God is the only alchemist. And you might, he says, God is the only alchemist. He, he, he knows how to turn lead into gold. Now you might say, the only alchemist, what in the world is he talking about? Let's try to understand because I think it's pretty cool. I think this is, this is helpful. So this old preacher, this old commentator, says God's the only alchemist. He's referring to this process that happened back in the Middle Ages where the scientists of the Middle Ages and the magicians of the Middle Ages and also the con men of the Middle Ages, they were all trying to find the formula to take what they considered a, a worthless substance, a worthless metal, lead, and, and, and then find a formula to take lead and to transform it into a valuable substance like gold. And they knew, yeah, if, we, if we figured this out, we'll be rich. Now, of course, they never found such a chemical formula for such a transformation, right? But Matthew Henry says, God does know how to work that alchemy. He knows the spiritual formula. He turns Paul's lead circumstances, his worthless circumstances, into gold. And he knows how to transform us into gold. He, he turns Paul's chains into converted lives, new Christians. He turns Paul's chains into greater confidence in the church. He's an alchemist. And I believe the message that he has for us this morning is that he's an alchemist spiritually in our lives too. Some of you are going through that suffering right now. You're right in the heat of the furnace. And Paul is saying God can change those, call them garbage circumstances. They're bad. They stink. God can change those garbage circumstances and bring gold. Golden blessings. And I'd like to look at two examples of that that I think are highlighted in this very passage. So first is, you know, turning garbage circumstances into like golden opportunities. And, and that's what we've already seen, you know, in Paul's imprisonment how that enables him to share the good news with the palace guard. 
he gets a, an opportunity to share the good news with these very significant, important people who have access to the rest of the palace. And we see something similar already in the Old Testament in the story of Joseph. He would have never become, I mean, just think about this. This guy becomes second in command to Pharaoh. He's the second most powerful person in the whole world at that time. And then, you know, in that position, he devises a plan to store grain for the seven years of famine that he knows will be coming upon the world. That plan saves thousands and tens of thousands of lives all across the known world at that time. But how did he get to that place? Well, first his brothers sold him into slavery. And then he went and was a slave in Potiphar's house. And then you remember he, he was falsely accused in Potiphar's house by Potiphar's wife. And then thrown into an Egyptian prison. So first he goes down into slavery. And then he goes down into a prison for a crime he did not commit. And, and, and ironically, Joseph had to go that low into that prison in order to be in the very spot where he would have access to Pharaoh. And where Pharaoh would be able to hear about uh, an interpretation of Pharaoh's dream and, and, and then say, you're the man who's going to be my prime minister. He would have never been in such a spot if he wasn't, all those other horrible garbage things happened to him. And so later, when Joseph reconnects with his, his brothers, he says, you know, what you meant for evil, and you did mean it, mean it for evil, it stunk. You meant for evil. God meant for good. The saving of many lives. Prison became my platform to speak to Pharaoh. You know, suffering, let's be honest about this. I, I can honestly get a little bit uh, frustrated with some of those books that say you can control every circumstance. It sure hasn't worked out that way for me. Suffering can has destroyed some things. It scrambles our old scripts. It takes apart our old world. I remember when my late wife, Lisa, got a brain stem, stem tumor nine years ago, May 9, 2014. And Lisa and I, we struggled mightily with the fact that the plan we had imagined for our life the script that we had imagined for ourselves and our four kids, um, it wasn't happening. Now, thankfully, <laughs> we were still able to do some things, but, you know, those vacations that they were all going on and, and the ways they were able to develop their work skills and, and, and just all the things they were able to do as families, we weren't able to do that contrasted with our life, which was filled with chemotherapy appointments and eye appointments. She had surgeries to fix her drooping eyelids, which was a result of her brainstem tumor. Um, her, we had surgeries to fix, try to fix her double vision. That never really uh, worked. Uh, surgeries for her ear, ear appointments to correct the horrible noise in her head, which several of those, and those didn't really work. 
Now, I personally praise God and believe it was a miracle that God gave Lisa five more years than the doctors had expected. They told us September 17, 2014, you've got one more year left. Prepare yourself and your kids. And by God's grace, when September 17, 2015 came, he still had 2,002 more days left for Lisa. And I'll always thank him for that. But if you say, oh, well, that means the, the script was magically restored. No, my script was scrambled for good. <laughs> for good. And I think some of you could say, yep, I, I can relate to that. But does that mean God's plan was scrambled? Not at all. Earlier in the service, Joy read those amazing words from Psalm 33. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. So part of his plan, which I never anticipated, is that I would uh, not be serving as a pastor. It was something I... Thought I'd be doing, uh, and right now, uh, I'm doing something different. Um, I'm working as a direct support professional for people uh, with intellectual and developmental dis disabilities. And in recent weeks, my boss has asked me to take one of our higher functioning individuals on a weekly field trip. So this young man that I take on these weekly field trips, um, he can't speak. He can't walk. He's in a motorized wheelchair. But he can type on his iPad. And so we often have conversations that way. And, you know, he's more advanced than most of our individuals who have pretty severe needs. Anyway, for the last six weeks, he's been saying, uh, typing out on his iPad, um, I want to introduce you to my dad. I want him to arrange a meeting with my dad. And so I've been trying to do that. And, you know, it's been canceled a few times. And finally, the meetup was arranged for this past Wednesday, a few days ago. And dad's, you know, a very successful businessman. And I tell you, when we first meet, he looks me over and kind of says gruffly, so what do you do? What's your story? And during the course of the lunch, um, I share pieces of my story. And it's amazing. He begins to soften. He begins to open up. He begins to share. And he tells me his son's backstory, the struggles he had since the accident, giving care to his son all through his childhood years and most of his 20s. And we had a good conversation. I, I'm not going to claim, oh, it was golden. No, it was, it was good. And I think perhaps the death of my late wife gave me a platform to speak with this guy who I think was ready to write me off. Did the conversation advance the gospel? I hope so. I don't really know. I just know, even when our scripts are scrambled, God's purposes go on, and Paul is saying, look for that. It Maybe with tears in your eyes. Maybe with groans. But look for it. 
Because God is an alchemist. He knows when our plans are wrecked, he still knows how to work his ark. As one of the old uh, famous Christian poets said, storms are the triumph of his ark. So look beyond the hard circumstances to God's hand. Grieve your losses. Keep scanning your life for opportunities to shine for him and advance the gospel. Secondly, turn these overwhelming circumstances into places where you're saying, I want to grow my faith. God says throughout Scripture that our our trials, our overwhelming circumstances, he, he, he brings them to us to develop our trust in him. Now, is that the only thing he does? No, he does other things in those, but that's one of the things he does. Can we accept that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about how there was a certain moment in his life he was under such great pressure. And he says, I, I was under great pressure. It was a horrible, overwhelming hardship, far beyond my ability to endure, so that I even despaired of life itself. Indeed, I felt, we felt, like we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will continue to deliver us. In our passage, Paul expresses the same confidence in God. He's saying, I'm relying on God. I'm not relying on my ability to control things. Not at all. I'm relying on God. Verse 18, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It's my faith, he says, and faith pleases God. God wants us to develop an everyday reliance on him. He wants us to be, he, he wants us to be trusters. Maybe we want to be like my son. You know, I, I want to be tough. I want to be invulnerable. I want bullets to bounce off my chest. We want super strength, but God values super trust. He, he wants us to learn that he is trustworthy before all the challenges we face and all uh, of the life activities that we do. In everything we should trust him with all our heart, with every part of our life. As Paul says later in this book, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Peter also talks about how suffering comes into our life for the same reason, to develop our faith. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, he says, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, gold which perishes even though refined by fire, that faith, that faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
the trials come to develop our trust and then also to make for a future testimony. I think of the story of Hein. Hein was captured by the communists in Vietnam many years ago and sent to a POW camp, treated horribly on account of his faith in Jesus Christ in that prison camp. And over the days, he slowly lost his faith. And one day he said, God's not here. God's not here. I, I was wrong to believe that God cared. This is my last day as a Christian, he said. Tomorrow when I wake up, no more God, no more prayer. And so he got up the next morning and he said, no God today. And then he received the assignment for the day. Hein, clean the latrines. And he's like, that figures. I get the worst assignment in the camp. And so he starts cleaning the latrines. And, and as he finishes cleaning the trash cans of soiled paper, he found one piece of paper in there that said Romans 8. And he looked closer and read these words. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nine was like, it's the Bible. <laughs> these are scraps of the Bible. And he clutched the words to his heart like a hungry man who has just found bread. He begins crying, Lord, you would not let me out of your reach for even one day. You brought your word of life to me in this smelly place. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm yours. I'm back. And the next day, Hein was like, I wonder if there's more Bible out there in the latrines. Now, I know this is gross, but... This is where he's at, okay? I wonder if there's more Bible. I want more Bible. I need more Bible. And so he asked the guard, he says, could I um, clean the latrines again today? And the guard thought he was being cheeky and disrespectful. And, and so he says, you're going to clean the latrines every day for sassing me like that. And so he's got that assignment every day. And it turns out that this very guard had been tearing out pages of the Bible and using them in ways, you know, the Bible shouldn't be used. But Hein was then able to collect and rinse off and keep most of Romans and many other parts of the New Testament. And he stored those as treasure. And it helped him trust each day, God gave Hein his word. And Hein grew back in trust in this God who was for him, even in the most terrible circumstances. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what you and I need. He is in control. Nothing can separate us from his love. He will deliver his people. Trust him. Our faith, our faith matters far more to him than gold. 
trials that we experience, they come and they're hard, but they come to refine our faith, to develop our trust, to advance the gospel, to give us new material for the next testimony.